You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. It is August 4th, 2022. It's uh, 7.38 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And we have been talking uh, the last few weeks about um, uh, the the politics of our uh, the body politics of the U.S. mainly uh, um, in response to Roe v. Wade, um, and I thought that actually maybe we would return toward a conversation about uh, attachment uh, and uh, meditation, since that's actually. Um, um, our primary focus here at Metagroup. Um, we've been uh, trying to plan a retreat in Asia. One of the things that I like to do about uh, retreating in Asia is to do a traditional focus uh, on Theravada practice there. Uh, it is uh, possible to have the experience of meditation and an, an experience of uh, Theravada Buddhism that's centered in the way that it's taught here and in the West, uh, and uh, have a sense of that being um, the way that uh, it's traditionally practiced in Asia. I think if you actually go to Asia and sit there, you'll see that it's, it is quite different. Um, and I think that that can be uh, helpful in terms of understanding practice. So we uh, had been going to Myanmar and uh, sitting a, a, a meta retreat uh, there with U Indika Sayadaw, and he teaches uh, Metta Jhana, which is one of the Mahasi Sayadaw approaches to uh, meta practice, which is uh, centered on a concentration practice so that you use the, the uh, object of uh, meta mind or the mind state or view of meta as the object of meditation an attempt to come into uh, high concentration states around that. Uh, his approach is uh, um, centered on the metta-vipassana approach, which is this integrated practice of the two, the heart practices and the insight practice, and that you begin that by developing intentional positivity and the capacity to hold positive states. Um, but the purpose of that then is to create a container that you can withdraw into if you need to, if the inside side heats up too much. So when you move into pulling apart the uh, experience in the way that uh, the Vipassana uh, or the that style of insight practice um, tends to do, um, you can sometimes come into the the views that you use to, to create the experience of yourself and of the world and that that can put you in uh, uh, touch with some painful emotional experiences in response to that and in a combined metavipassana approach to practice you pull into the meta side to the positive side when uh, the, the vipassana side becomes distressing um, one of the the problems in the West uh, for people, particularly new people who come into 
a mainly vipassana or insight-focused practice um, is that it does often put you in touch with difficult emotional experiences in response to seeing things clearly. Um, and if you don't have a, a strongly developed capacity for positivity that you can uh, use as a refuge, uh, often what uh, happens is that uh, people simply stop meditating in order to uh, uh, moderate the uh, painful experiences. And so you have uh, um, the starting and stopping, which is very common in, in uh, householder practice, or what you have is a, a, a very limited uh, meditation practice. The, th the thing about um, pursuing meditation as an enlightenment-oriented practice is that you have to go that whole distance in order to have those uh, experiences uh, that are uh, transformative in that classical enlightenment way. Uh, each of the different traditions uh, um, creates different experiences of that, and that depending on how you practice, uh, you have different experiences. I know that uh, Dan Brown and uh, Judd Brewer did some fMRI studies on uh, Tibetan practitioners and on uh, Theravada practitioners and found that the different techniques created different uh, uh, reactivity in the brain and that the Theravada practice was really centered around the ACC and shutting down the experience of self. And the Tibetan practice was, uh, uh, or, or the parts of the brain that responded were a shift of the identification of the self-experience in the uh, left prefrontal cortex into the parietal lobe, which is more local, global, so that that big expansiveness experience that often comes from the Tibetan practice is actually related to the uh, brain activity that the, the meditation, the specific practices cause, whereas the no-self-experience, which is prominent in the Theravada practice, comes from the the, the shutting down or the muting of the ACC activity. So when we talk about en enlightenment experiences and they're centered in different kinds of practice, uh, they're different because the practices produce different results based on what you do. Uh, we in, in the West tend to, uh, particularly in the U.S., In the U.S., we have this thing called cultural appropriation. I don't know if you've heard of it, but we like to take the things that really are shiny and work well and collect them and discard everything else. And so we tend to create these practices, which we, th we think of as traditional practices, but actually they're just sort of cherry-picked practices. Uh, and we even mix and match, uh, you know, for the longest time, uh, sitting with uh, Shinzen, uh, uh, who said uh, that he was uh, uh, primarily a Theravada teacher and an, a teacher of insight, when you actually pull apart the techniques that he's offering, it's from all, all of the different lineages sort of gathered together and secularized, so it's harder to tell what the origins of the practices are. Um, <clears throat> when we went to Myanmar and I was looking around for 
a retreat center where we could do some longer uh, retreats, um, I met a monk who was who had been at the monastery for five years and he was still uh, doing breath counting and that he hadn't actually been offered any other techniques besides breath counting because this the the monk that was ahead of him or in charge of his practice was not yet satisfied uh, to the depth of uh, his technique in breath counting christian uh was he also doing like a meta practice is that like really integrated in their no in this particular monastery it was just straight vipassana there wasn't really much in the way of metta but he wasn't doing vipassana or metta he was simply doing a shamatha concentration focused practice okay um now in the u.s who do you know that's willing to do five years of a basic uh breath counting practice uh anyone <laughs> We don't want to do the preliminary practices. We want to jump into the advanced practices because we have this idea about our go-to-itness, I think might be a way to describe that. Um, and we're also very ori we're oriented very differently. Um, we have a, a, a long tradition of psychological uh, work that we do uh, a, a sense of psychological health that we we're supposed to have. Um, and really, uh, I think of um, the preliminary practices, which we don't really do uh, much of here uh, as the uh, attachment investigation. One of the things that we need in order to do deep practice and to, to do it long enough to have an effect in the time element, of course, is serendipitous. I remember a story Shinzen uh, used to tell of uh, uh, being at a, a monastery in Kyoto and uh, every single day white knuckling it just to get through the day. And, uh, and a, you know, sort of a middle management accountant type guy comes in and goes uh, from never having meditated before to stream entry in six weeks which really irked all of the <laughs> novice monks in this place. <laughs> um, there's a quote, I, I'm thinking it's Robert Thurman, but I'm, I'm not sure about it, uh, that uh, early on um, in his sitting in Asia, that uh, local people would come in and sit and, and in a few weeks have these deep insights into practice. And um, <clears throat> the Westerners would come in and spend the same amount of time and get nowhere. And uh, the, the teachers said that uh, the, the local people were coming in and meditating and the Westerners were coming in and thinking. And so that, that's that psychological piece, trying to make sense of it using uh, logic. In, in the U.S. and in the West, uh, mainly uh, what I've seen is people at the hardly functioning end of the spectrum and people at the super functioning end of the spectrum come in to practice meditation and not many people in the middle. Uh, and the reason for that is that the, the hardly functioning people who've tried many of the approaches that, uh, that were offered to them to help 
uh, increase their functioning, didn't make much progress using them, and as a last resort turned toward meditation. And at the other end of the spectrum, people that function super well, uh, but uh, remain unhappy in the achievements of that level of functioning come because they're looking for something that actually is going to provide meaning. So we have this piece about engaging in the activities of the world, engaging in uh, activities that have meaning to us. Um, there was a quote I was... Uh, I think it's by Ballard, who was a French philosopher who wrote uh, in the postmodern school. Uh, uh, we have uh, more and more meaning as the technology improves, uh, more and more information as the technology improves, and, and less and less meaning coming from it. More and more information, less meaning. Uh, in the attachment uh, approach, we have these three uh, main uh, activities uh, that make up the experience. The attachment system activates and we seek proximity to people that make us feel safe, that will protect us, and will help emotionally regulate us. Once we're emotionally regulated, the attachment system shuts down and the exploration system turns on. And so then we, we are, we are free to go and pursue the things that actually have meaning to us. Uh, and then the third aspect is collaboration with other people. One of the things about pursuing a deep meditation path is that uh, consistency in practice, uh, uh, opportunities to practice a, 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 in, in a retreat setting or in a, an extended period of practice, is very useful, and in order to do that, you need the time, energy, and resources to be able to do that. But then also, it can be uh, unnerving uh, or um, destabilizing a little bit to go into that deep practice. And so you need then to have the, the uh, social network that you can rely on to support you, or you begin to inhibit the, uh, the progress of the investigation. Now, in the traditional way of practicing in Asia, uh, in the monasteries, you have the community of the, the monastics to support you in that. Um, but in, in, as householders in the West, we don't really have uh, much in the way of a monastic community that we would rely on. And most of us who are householders are actually not interested in withdrawing from a householder's life and, and entering into the monastery. Um, the monastic life, of course, is a, a patriarchal life, a hierarchical life, uh, and, and there's very little wiggle room in that way. The people who are senior to you have authority, and you don't, if you're not in that uh, role in the monastery. And so you, you have to comply, and in, in particularly in Myanmar, that uh, compliance is uh, thought to be a, an insight into the nature of self and uh, not self. But then 
and depends really also on uh, who you have and what the culture of the of the monastic community is that you're involved in. In the West, uh, as householders, uh, we have the the relational community around us uh, that either comes from our family life or our work life uh, or our friendship life. Uh, and we don't always have the uh, advantage of uh, the whole of our social community being engaged in meditation practice. In fact, sometimes most of them are not. Um, and so then, <clears throat> how do you manage the time, energy, and resources that you would need to take away from your commitments uh, to other people, uh, other work, say a work situation, and be able to focus on practice? That's part of the balancing. Um, so in uh, attachment conditioning, uh, some people are secure, some people are dismissing, some people are preoccupied, some people are disorganized. Um, disorganized, the disorganized end of this of this scale, uh, people tend to function quite a bit less well than the organized side, which is the uh, secure. Dissisting uh, and preoccupied people. Secure people tend to be able to build around themselves social support and social networks that work with work for them, and they tend to be organized around um, primary exploration, which is where the activity itself provides meaning. Or uh, whereas dismissing people tend to be more organized around secondary exploration, which is the pursuit of resources so that you can, uh, in some sense, transact uh, the things that you need. Uh, preoccupied people don't explore particularly well uh, as part of the conditioning. And the, the reason that this is something that's important to understand is that you could uh, express a meditation practice as an exploration. And for many for most people who practice, I think it's a primary exploration. It has meaning to practice, and what you're finding out uh, is that direct uh, uh, sense of uh, understanding yourself and your place in the social world that you are in Buddhism. We would call that inside and outside. Inside is that sense of self and the peace with your own uh, beingness, and then the world, which is the other people that you're in relationship to. Um, <clears throat> on the secure end, that's probably it. We also have uh, in the West, and I'm, I'm going to guess also in the East, although it, um, it's harder to crack the, 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 the sort of silence of of uh, the monastic community. Um, uh, you know, uh, people acting in ways that are, are not skillful, uh, and then we might look at the orientation of pursuing uh, positions uh, of uh, power within the meditation community uh, and um, what the purpose of that is. 
Um, I tend to like uh, Dharma maps. And so one of the things I like quite a bit is the Theravada map of the 16 stages or of the progress of insight, which takes you through this series of insights that you need in order to find your way into classical enlightenment. Um, But I also like the Tibetan uh, approach uh, of uh, finding uh, the sacredness of everything and holding that view of sacredness. I think when I was 18 or 19, I had decided that I would stop trying to answer the big questions in life. Um, What does it mean to be alive? Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Uh, All of these questions I found uh, inscrutable and unanswerable, and I thought that it was a waste of time uh, to try and solve them. But then I found uh, uh, um, coming, you know, into my 20s in New York in the 80s, as the the AIDS epidemic swept through uh, the social world that I inhabited, and the the extreme difficulty of of uh, caring for that, uh, for the people I knew in my community as, uh, as they died. Uh, it's something um, something about uh, a succession of people in their 20s um, who are in one season vibrant and energetic and in a couple of seasons later decimated and dying. Um, then I realized that I'm going to have to answer these questions in a way because the the avoidance of them is unbearable. Uh, And so that practice, uh, for me, was the the catalyst to to practice in earnest. Um, But mainly what I find out in practicing uh, in the Theravada tradition is that the experience of self is just this little pressure cooker of suffering. And if you can stay out of it, it's not that bad. Uh, You don't suffer that much. And so there, there's that shift out of the identification with this limited identity into this vastness, this uh, unfixated, undifferentiated space. Um, but then it's it, to reconstruct a sense of self and explain it is is not <laughs> that easy. <laughs> I could tell you how to practice. So that you could come into the to the experiences of that, and I can nod as you describe those experiences in the the self language that we all end up using. Um, in the Tibetan practices, it's this it's quite different than that. It's this expansiveness, this spaciousness, uh, this thinning out. Um, and then everything takes on this quality of sacredness, and I can, I can uh, explain how awesome that is—that that experience of sacredness—and how every little thing seems important and 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 valuable, and how to hold that uh, view. Um, 
But not, neither one of those actually produces an answer that the self is satisfied with in terms of the big questions, or at least not for me. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Um, <clears throat> I do uh, track uh, the outcomes of things. I, I make my uh, calculations of what I should do, and then I take the actions and attempt to bring those things into fruition. And then what happens happens. And I understand that that is karma. And uh, I try to live an ethical life. And I understand the things that happen are good karma. But very often, they're not the thing that I wanted to have happen. <laughs> and there's some suffering in in that self experience of I that isn't what I I had in mind. Um, I'm reminded of my grandmother. Uh, she lived to be 97. And she was a Christian scientist uh, who also used Western medicine. There's a lot of accommodations that people can make. Um, and she looked at me and she said, you know, I am I'm absolutely convinced that God has a plan for me. I just wish he'd let me in on it. Um, <laughs> at 97. She said, I don't know anybody anymore. And I said, oh, you have lots of friends. She said, oh, those people, I've only known them 10 years. I used to know people 70. So there's this process of life, um, depending where you're at. <clears throat> I am, uh, in my life, coming to the end of old age and looking forward to old, old age. Um, wondering uh, how different that will be. Uh, I already, already notice uh, um, my energy capacities are diminishing in a way that a lot of the things that I did Routinely now, I'm finding challenging to do. Um, and I, I think that all of us have the experience of aging if we live long enough, where the those things kinds of change and um, what we're interested in, what we can pursue uh, may not line up, and then we have to adjust for that. Um, at Metagroup, we focus initially on um, attachment as a preliminary practice because we want people to be able to stabilize uh, their uh, social network and environment and, and how they live so that they actually do have the time, energy, and resources to pursue a deep practice, which we do think is the end goal of practice, that pursuit of classical enlightenment using uh, whatever approach actually resonates for you um, to see clearly the nature of the human condition to see clearly the nature of your experience i was working with a student um, and uh, under uh, a high level of stress, they acted in ways that they didn't like about themselves. Um, and uh, saw it as a failing. 
but then uh, my sense of that is that there there is the the bind of identification with self that i am this person who does these things rather than that stepping out of that uh, sense of self into awareness where you really do watch what you do rather than identify with what you do you watch what you do with the kind of open curiosity and attempt to redirect yourself if you see you're going off the rails but uh, all of those things happen automatically you are not uh, ever making the decision to do them in that sense uh, and so we in some sense that that is a description of seeing clearly christian Do you think in that case, the acting from awareness would allow the student or the, anyone to, it, is the point that it makes you not judge yourself or is the point that it actually makes you, gives you like a buffer to make better decisions? Well, it gives you a buffer. Uh, to make better decisions, but also if if you uh, lose awareness, lose mindfulness, and have a, a moment of mindlessness that is actually even harmful or or causes a difficulty, you don't uh, um, self-emulate in the rigid identification with self. You can um, reestablish your mentalizing faster, and then correct faster um, we tend to uh, most of the time in the process of forming the sense of self and the sense of the world that all happens automatically uh, all happens unconsciously based on conditioning and then at the last second it appears in consciousness um, i like to call that uh, the veto possibility the window of vetoing a boneheaded move um, so you have the object that can be sensed the capacity to sense it when they have contact consciousness of that sensing experience arises um, one of the problems with the english is that we use the same word to mean different things but uh, consciousness is the uh, active sensing experience that awareness would know um, and then uh, it's, process, it's evaluated for urgency, doesn't matter, pleasant if there's time. It's compared to the perceptual database. If there's a match that's close enough, the meaning of the particular pattern of sensing uh, activates into uh, conceptual reality. And in that moment of activation, it appears uh, uh, in the self-experience uh, as this is what we think is happening. Um, because we're creating conceptual reality and it's an extremely elastic thing, we can make it in, in so many different ways that if you're monitoring that process in that moment of uh, uh, coming into being, if you see that it's not a good match to uh, what actually is being sensed, so that's the, the word in Pali for that is Tajapanati, which is uh, a constant looking back on 
the ultimate reality and comparing it to conceptual reality to make sure that they match well. Um, then you can correct and recreate a conceptual reality that's more in line with what's happening. But most of the process of uh, sensing and evaluating for urgency and uh, uh, applying meaning uh, happens before it reaches uh, conscious awareness. So these versions of reality are coming into conscious awareness fully formed. And so we don't necessarily see behind the curtain or under the hood as to how we've created them. So you might say that the purpose of practice is to be able to track that so that you're constantly in a position of uh, knowing what the ultimate reality is and what you've made it into so that your actions are more and more oriented in a skillful way. Is that making sense? Uh, when we don't do that, then the version of conceptual reality that we create, we just assume to be accurate. And then we form intention and take action based on that, even if it's wildly off. So the Buddha talked about that. Uh, one of the stories that he used was the, the farmer who went into the hut uh, and it was dark and he looked in the corner and he saw a coiled snake and he took his machete and he chopped it up. And then he lit a candle and he uh, saw that he chopped up a coil of rope. But in the moment, the mind made it into a snake and he responded um, as if it were a snake. Is that making sense? Um, so what we want to do is be uh, constantly present, constantly monitoring this construction that we make of the world, um, constantly comparing it to what we're taking in to make sure that the, the constructions that we made are a, an accurate reflection of what's actually happening. Now, your constructions of everything are going to be based on your perceptual database, based on your conditioning. So you're always going to be creating a version of conceptual reality based on that. And everybody has their own database, so everybody is creating their own version. And so we need to engage in a dialogue about each person's version. Um, in a postmodern view, you might say that there is no truth because it's all subject to uh, what our conditioning is. But in a, in a metamodern version of that, you would say what's true is that everybody's creating their own reality and what we need to do in order to understand each other is dialogue about that without being defensive of it, just to be open. Christine, you had a question? So what you're saying is that this practice will remove our fear of snakes? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, that would not be a skillful practice. Because sometimes when you go into the hut, the coil in the corner will be a snake. Uh, it's actually to see clearly and distinguish a snake from a not snake. <laughs> All right. 
So um, let's do some Vipassana. What do you think? <clears throat> So any comments or questions about the practice we just did? So on Saturday, we're doing the third uh, in the level one uh, attachment series. I'm uh, teaching with uh, Zach Oldenburg. Um, two weeks uh, from Saturday, we're gonna do the uh, the uh, relational, uh, I mean, the collaborative relationship day long. Um, so if you're familiar with the three pillars approach to attachment repair that Dan Brown uh, developed with his group, uh, that is the third pillar, collaborative relationship systems and understanding how they work. Uh, we'll do some dyads with that so you can practice. In October, we're doing um, our final retreat at Seven Circles because uh, Seven Circles is closing. So that if you have any nostalgia for that as a retreat center, uh, please join us. We won't be able to go back to there after the October retreat. November, we're doing our first uh, level one class for uh, Europe, uh, European Central Time. So if you're a night owl, we're, we'll be teaching from 1 a.m. until uh, 10 in the morning. Um, we're still trying to put together our retreat uh, for uh, Asia in February, but uh, not sure what's happening with that at the moment. I'll keep you abreast of it. Um, and then uh, next June, um, I'm going to do uh, our first uh, European retreat in, in the, Nether the Netherlands. So that's the stuff that's coming up. Um, a lot of it is on the website. Take a look. Um, I do offer the teaching on it. Uh, Carol? Yeah, uh, can you just jump in for the day long on, on the collaborative relationships? Uh, it is. Yeah, sure. Uh -huh. it, we, we do offer it separately from the, the first part of level one. Okay. So. It's out on the website then. Yeah. I think it's August 20th. So um, I offer the teaching on a Donna basis. Donna is the poly word for generosity. So where there's a link on the website to make a donation if you wish. Um, uh, we really appreciate any amount because it helps support me and also the work that Metagroup is doing. Thank you for your practice and we will see you soon. Bye.